You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. So now what? Well, you can join me, Pastor Allen, and my colleague, Pastor Carissa, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Soft Idolatry. We are finishing up what in the lectionary is called Year C, uh, the end of ordinary time here. In fact, this is our last Sunday of ordinary time in Year C. The next Sunday will be Christ the King Sunday, which is the final Sunday of the year and is not ordinary time, but rather a holiday celebration. And then we begin Advent. I am starting to feel ready for Advent. How about you, Alan? Well, I'm still working on my Advent cards. I, I, I don't have all of them done. <laughs> wait. I, I prefer to do Epiphany cards. Uh, okay. You're... So I wait until the, all of the cards are on sale after Advent is over when most people say Christmas is over, but it's actually just then Christmas. Aha. Uh-huh. So you don't send an Advent card for each week of the season? No, I do not. I have an awful lot of people to send cards to. That would take uh, a lot of time and effort on my part to do that. I've never sent cards, so I can probably get away with continuing that trend or at least Uh, sending minimal cards. I tend to not send too many cards to like personal friends and family, actually. Those uh, generally just go out like in the form of Facebook or text message greetings these days, uh, partly to be environmentally friendly, partly because I'm lazy, but I do send them out to the congregation. Okay. Yeah. So um, as we are winding down on this last Sunday of ordinary time, I'm so tired of wearing green stoles. Uh, What is your sermon title this week? Well, I think my sermon title is Endurance. Okay, and mine is idle hands, so we seem to have uh, chosen two sides of the same coin here. Mm-hmm. So what uh, what is going on in the world that leads you to a title like idle hands? That's a great question. The Presbyterian planning calendar, which is a calendar that many uh, PCUSA specifically, Presbyterian ministers, use, has a different observation for many of the Sundays that is listed. So if you want to specifically address certain things in the world, you can look at that and see what they recommend for that week. And this week is actually marked for Hunger and Homelessness Sunday. Um, Both of my churches collect food for local pantries, have good relationship with the the homeless shelter. Um, But that's really the extent of our activity in um, homelessness and hunger prevention and care. So I think we're going to talk about that a little bit this week. Um, uh-huh. What sorts of, of things like that is your church involved in? Well, I this is one of those areas where I am just thrilled to be serving in Freehold, um, in Freehold, New Jersey, our Freehold Area Clergy Association. Actually, I think it's the Greater Freehold Area Clergy Association is comprised of about 20 or 22 different congregations plus two ministries that do not belong to any single congregation. And those ministries are a food pantry and an emergency housing advocacy program. Nice. Yeah. So those are two separate nonprofit corporations that receive funding and support from all of the congregations in the community. They have their own boards of directors and they have part or full-time staff. So 
it, it's a really great way of pooling our resources instead of, you know, a handful of congregations having small food pantries. We've got a really comprehensive food pantry, and we serve a lot of people on the margins here in our community. That is a really wonderful example of how congregations coming together can accomplish more than when they're trying to do things separately. Um, if we all have a food bank, it's going to be tiny and we're not going to be able to service as many people and we all have to redo the administration of it. So I really like that idea of coming together. Yeah, and, and there are, there is always a little bit of... I'm not going to say everybody who is involved, but there will always be suspicions on the parts of some members of the congregation that someone out there is gaming the system and that there is some family who is just hitting up all the food pantries and really making out like bandits, which I don't think is the case. But we have a central location. And we have the opportunity through our volunteers and through the professional staff to be in relationship with the people who are supported by these resources. That's really important because one of the things I've heard that time and time again, too, from people is that they're worried about um, being taken advantage of. They're worried about those people that are gaming the system. I mean, then that dates back to uh, Ronald Reagan's infamous welfare queen, oh, yes. uh, which wasn't an actual person, if you check into that and um and so people are afraid of being taken advantage by that person who's just scheming to do as little work as possible although it sounds to me like so much work right it seems like more work to game the system than to just get a, a job mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um so yeah that that's one of the downsides of uh trying to encourage people to get involved with hunger and homelessness is we just assume that everyone is on the streets because they're lazy or addicted to drugs or something like that. Um, do you see any other shortcomings in that? It seems to be the main go-to for churches if they're going to address hunger is to start up a food bank. Yeah, it, it's it's sort of a um, it's a personal virtue kind of response to a to a big problem. I can see myself as virtuous and helpful if I am supporting the food bank. But that doesn't get me to think about the bigger picture or the, the larger systems that uh, result in unequal access to good food or good education or good employment. And that is always the challenge, is that this is not just an individual action toward a good end. We need to work collectively to change things to build the kingdom of God. Right. Laziness is not the cause of hunger and homelessness in the world. I, I wonder if our scriptures will say anything about this. I, I You know, spoiler alert, they might. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's things like um, food deserts, for example, in low-income neighborhoods where grocery stores have found it hard to break even, so therefore there are no grocery stores in the area. You might have a handful of convenience stores or fast food, but that there's no access to healthy food. Or there's minimal access to healthy food, right. but the convenience stores stock the things that sell. So some canned foods, some prepackaged things like Easy Mac and lots of uh, soda, or as we say in Western Pennsylvania, pop. 
pop. <laughs> uh, and, and lots of things that are not, um, not the nutritional equivalent of salads and fresh vegetables and good produce. Right. Well, because per calorie, it's a heck of a lot cheaper to eat things like Hot Pockets and Easy Mac, right, than it is to eat healthy food. I saw an article recently that was very interesting about uh, meal prepping and how meal prepping and crock pot cooking and all those easy recipes you see on the internet are actually like for the privileged. They're they're not going to save money for those who can't get to the places that have those things that they need and can't afford the produce and things like that. Not only that, but um, it, it's it's a question of time. You know, people right. on the margins are often working more than one job and meal prep is a category of existence that they don't often engage in. Correct. Yeah. I always complain about how much time and effort it takes to meal prep, but that for real is just laziness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I definitely have time to. I just choose to spend the rest of my evening uh, hanging out watching TV with my dog. Hashtag first world problems. Right, right. Because I am in the privileged place where I can decide whether I want to meal prep or order food delivery. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that, that this is a both and situation and the proper Christian response is to both perform acts of charity and also work for systemic change. That if we can see these problems, it is up to us to uh, discuss these in our clergy groups and in our congregations and work toward making a change, toward building a better place, building what we would call the kingdom of God. Or I should Absolutely. say what scripture calls the kingdom of God. <laughs> right, right. It's not just us calling it that. Uh, yeah, because the system isn't fixed by slapping Band-Aids on things, right? Jesus turned tables over because the system was um, broken and taking advantage of people. But he also fed people. Yeah. He fed hungry people. And so it's important for us to do both, both feed people when they are hungry and work so that they will not be hungry in the future. Also true for Martin Luther. Correct. Correct. Uh, there's that old saying, you know, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. Give him a fish and then teach him to fish. Right. Like you can do both. You can do both. So <laughs> speaking of scripture, let's jump into our texts. Okay, let's do it. Which texts are you using this week? I am using Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. And I am also using the gospel reading, which is Luke 21, 5 through 19. I am also using the Isaiah text, the Isaiah 65, and I'm using 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 13. So why don't we start by talking about that Isaiah passage first? Uh, I know you're not feeling well. Do you want to read that passage or do you want me to go ahead and read the passages today? Uh, I'll read this one and I'll give um, just a little bit of a gloss before we dive in. Uh, Perfect. This is from the third Part of Isaiah. Um, I don't think we've talked about Isaiah yet on this podcast, but many scholars believe that, that the book of Isaiah is a composite work, that it, that it includes the work of three different prophets over a span of, what is it, like about 150 years or so? Um, maybe more. 
anyhow, uh, the the first part is chapters one through thirty nine, which is attributed to Isaiah bin Amos, uh, Isaiah the son of Amos or Amos, and it was written before the exile in Babylon. The second part, which is roughly chapters 40 through 55. That sounds right. Um, it is exilic. So it was written while the Jews were in Babylon. And then the last few chapters, perhaps 56 to 66, are written after the return from exile. Now, these are not uh, hard and fast rules. There's probably an editor cobbling stuff together to, to make it a little bit more harmonious. But what we are looking at is a post-exilic scripture, and we are looking at God comforting the people after they have returned to Judea, the leaders and the rulers and the political and religious elites of the time, um, comforting them as they have come back to a Jerusalem that was abandoned during the captivity and to a Jerusalem in which the temple was destroyed. And there's a lot of um, tension among the group about the rebuilding of the temple. And this kind of is of a piece with our reading from the prophet Haggai last week. You know what? I am going to let you read this. Okay. I thought you might uh, might defer that to me. Uh, so with that introduction, hear the words of Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. For I am about to create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit they shall not plant and another eat for like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity for they shall be offspring blessed by the lord and their descendants as well before they call i will answer while they are yet speaking i will hear the wolf and the lamb shall feed together the lion shall eat straw like the ox but the serpent its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. That is just such a great, great piece of comfort. And um, we, we often miss the enduring message of peace and comfort that God or Jesus give to the people. And so that's the first thing that leaps off the page for me. One of the other things that uh, I don't know that I've said this on the podcast, though I know that we have talked about this in personal conversation. Um, as people of the 21st century, we do a 
great, great disservice, maybe even injustice, when we think of the peoples of biblical times as being primitive and narrow-minded. And I say that here in looking at verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox. These are metaphors. And to suggest that ancient peoples aren't capable of figures of speech, of metaphors, of those sorts of nuances of meaning, is one, to do them a great disservice, and two, for us, it is missing some of the larger points. So this is not them thinking literally. Uh, This is not God speaking through Isaiah saying literally, in the future, lions shall eat straw. No, it's a metaphor. And we often need to keep that in mind because we have a tendency sometimes to make things literal that are metaphors so that we can use them to bludgeon our political, ideological, or religious opponents. So are you saying that there is little hope that my dog will stop chasing the cat? I am saying there is little hope that your dog will stop chasing the cat. Uh, he's doing much better. But you're, you're right. We need to look at this um, with the broad picture in mind as well. And remembering the genre, right, The this passage is written in. Um, this is not, prophecy is not meant to be something that literally predicts the future like we see in Harry Potter or something like that. Right. Also, prophets will use broad language to get our attention. A prophet isn't going to say things will get better over time, gradually a little bit every year. (laughs) Just wait it out. Just wait it out. It'll get better, guys. (laughs) Likewise, they don't say things might get a little worse if you don't do X, Y, and Z. They they predict utter calamity because... (laughs) Armageddon. Yes, because our attention spans are short. Correct, yeah. Um, I think another important overarching theme in this, along with um, this idea of peace and wholeness, is the idea that God's kingdom provides for all people. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, everyone is building houses that they're going to live in. Not that um, you shouldn't live in a house that somebody else built, but rather everyone will have the, the means to do that. Right. And that they will then not get immediately dispossessed by someone with more power or by another empire or something like that. But our episode on gentrification is going to happen at a later <laughs> date. <laughs> I'm not opening that can of worms no. today. I don't know about you. <laughs> no, please, please don't make me laugh hard. I might start coughing. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm just really glad that we're recording over Skype so I don't uh, run the risk of catching that cold. <laughs> Good answer. Any any other thoughts on Isaiah? It's such a rich passage. It, it is. Those are some quick thoughts, but I think we might connect it better to our questions about hunger and homelessness if you jump into your next text. All right. Well, then I'll go ahead and do that. Um, the next text is Second Thessalonians 3. 6 through 13. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. 
We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we do not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command, Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. Ouch. Yeah, totally. So this this is one of those texts that could very easily be used to bludgeon one's political opponents. And And I don't know that I don't know that we even need to like point out how that might be the case. It seems quite obvious. Correct. But one of the things that was drilled into my head in seminary, and I, I think this is a very Presbyterian approach to scripture, is Context, context, context. Yes. You always have to look at when and where a particular text was composed and why. And just as it is important to understand that our reading from Isaiah is given to a community, a congregation that has returned from exile and remembers a glorious past and they're not seeing it now this is written to a community that is expecting the immediate return of jesus christ right they're just not bothering to do anything because there's no point Um, if jesus is coming tomorrow why bother working hard why bother you know trying to um maintain the church or or raise crops and uh store grain and mill grain for flour and bake bread all of those things if you think that the return of christ is imminent and by imminent i don't mean a couple years from now but like a couple days from now then perhaps the thing to do is to spend all your time in prayer asking for forgiveness etc etc but what, what the author is saying here is, no, you've got to maintain yourselves. You've got to do all of the things that are necessary to stay alive and keep this community going because right. that second coming has not yet happened. Yeah. And last week we talked about zombie church. <laughs> yeah, this church that... Um kind of acts like it's still living, but it's not. Um, this is an example of that zombie church, and we get that today too. Um, so sometimes, like we mentioned last week, it might be caused by something like a memorial fund that allows them to be lazy. <laughs> um, in other cases, it's because the world's going to hell in a handbasket. The end is near. The church is doomed. Let's just mind our own business and pray. Yes, and and boy, the end, the end, the end times. There is, did we talk about this last week? We absolutely did. Okay. Yeah. So that is, again, one of those things that we hear wrong. We hear end as chronological end rather than end as a goal, a telos, and we need to reorient our ears. Right. 
Yes. And we need to um, hear this passage in the way that it was written, in the way that it was intended, if we are to do justice to the scriptures, if we are to take the Bible seriously, uh, we have to, to do that. And in this particular case, the point is not don't feed people who aren't working. The point is that everyone in the congregation needs to pull their own weight. Yes, and, and support one another. It's not just right. their own weight. It is the mutual concerns of the congregation, So, uh, and, the, and which is absolutely true today. So, you know, you might not be able to do something in church that you used to be able to do. You might not be able to run a bake sale like you used to, but you can still bake something for the bake sale. Uh, it, it, it's about collectively addressing the needs of the community. Right, right. Um, and not, we've had some... not saying you are somehow apart from those and... Uh, yeah. that, that you're just going to look out for yourself. So we get a little bit more uh, about this idea of kingdom and and goal, not end times in this passage from Luke 21. And I'm not using this passage this week, but you are. So why don't you go ahead and read that? Sure. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that is about to take place? And he said, beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified. For these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain souls." Oof. Yeah. What a what a um, fun text for baptism. It's a real oh yeah, it's a real fun text for baptism, isn't it? Um, you know, the thing that sticks out to me in this one, you get into that passage again about nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and earthquakes and famines and plagues. And that is um one of the passages that sometimes people point to when they say the end is mm -hmm. near. 
which is kind of ironic because Jesus is saying, beware of the people that say the end is near. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but then it turns around and says, before any of that happens, they're going to arrest you and persecute you and put you in pit prison. And there's going to be, you know, um, big wigs that are angry at you. And people skip that part and yeah. go straight to the other. Well, we, we get so hung up on looking for signs or hung up on the fear that we forget that Jesus again tells us, fear not. Uh, we spend, it, it, it's, it's like our political debates where we spend all sorts of time reading articles or watching programs from our own point of view not just so that we get informed, but so that we have the weapons for our debates with our political opponents. Yeah, it's like the um, when you learn about how to um, participate in active listening, they say you have to watch out because a lot of people fall into the trap of uh, not fully listening to the person they're talking to because they're so busy thinking of the next talking point that they are going to share they're already debating with what the person has to say to the point where they can't hear what the other is saying are you sure because i don't think you hear yourself when you say that carissa <laughs> well actually yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh no totally so that is absolutely it and again jesus is using prophetic language he is speaking to the disciples to get their attention he is saying, don't look at the pretty stones of the temple. That's not important. Right. He's he's checking our priorities. Yeah. And it, it, it's interesting. You know, we will make a fetish of our own discomfort over the phrase happy holidays or something like that. Oh, God. <laughs> Plain red Starbucks cups. Yes. We'll talk more about that in a future episode, I'm sure. But oh, yeah. we, we, we make fetishes over that. But... There are some people, even in our society, who are persecuted. Look at uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. You know, he was certainly persecuted for his faith. His faith led him to individual and collective action designed to change a system, and that upset a lot of people, and he was persecuted for his actions, which were an extension of his faith. Right. And right. yet the the end, as in the chronological end of times, was not right around the corner. Correct. The goal, on the other hand, was right around the corner. And though he only saw he only lived long enough to see some laws change, uh, that movement continued to change laws even after his death. So Again, we are hearing the wrong thing when we hear end. Yeah. And uh, lest you all despair that we're going to keep harping on this uh, end versus end thing for too long. <laughs> this is what happens at the end, at the conclusion of ordinary time, is that we talk about ends. That's right. A lot. This is a function of the lectionary and our end, our chronological end as well as our goal is to see the reign of jesus christ and so uh we skip around but this gospel reading comes from the end of the story 
uh, toward the end. It's it's a couple days before the crucifixion. And next Sunday, we will hear some texts that are decidedly Easter texts. We will certainly hear some Easter hymns in my congregation next Sunday. Um, Because we are celebrating the reign of Christ. We are celebrating the reality of the world in which we have a savior who has risen from the dead. And that concludes our liturgical year. And then we begin with watching and waiting for the savior to enter the world. Yeah. So we come to this, this culmination that is this peaceable kingdom that Isaiah talks about. And that's why that's coming in right now. This is the big picture, um, the grand scheme, if you will. And I think that this brings a lot of comfort um, because we're in a world that doesn't understand peace, that doesn't take care of one another. And we feel that, I think, um, collectively and individually, we feel that that angst that uh that something missing and um that's good news that it is coming that that is why then we watch and wait during advent that is why christmas matters if you want to keep the christ in christmas i would argue keep christ the king in your liturgical celebrations uh-huh. at church. okay okay but we're still getting a week ahead in the lectionary so I know. I just love that Sunday so much. I get very excited. Clearly. clearly. You should also see me when they get out the candles for the Christmas Eve candlelight service. I'm like a little kid. Okay. Very good. Very good. (laughs) I love when you just like humor me and nod, smile and nod. Um, Do you have anything else to add this week about the kingdom or the telos, the culmination of, of this all? I have no more teleological points to make. Okay, so let's bring it back around then maybe to um, to Hunger and Homelessness. How does this fit with Hunger and Homelessness Sunday? We are all spiritually hungry. We live in a culture that drains our spirit and that tells us to focus only on ourselves, that tells us to look out for number one, to protect and take care of ourselves first. And it leaves us very little energy for anything other than self. And we think we are too drained to give more, do more, be more. And we need to reorient ourselves. We need to return to a a practice of our faith in which we remember that we are valued just for being, that God loves us just for who we are, and that God calls us to share that love. And that is the center. The center is not us. Yeah. I would argue, too, that uh, many of us are spiritually homeless Mm. as well as spiritually hungry some are in church shopping mode, right? Where if the church isn't perfect, you're heading to the next one. Some uh, folks don't feel like they've been able to connect anywhere. 
other people feel like they're losing their home, like their church is not going to be there much longer. Um, others have been driven out yeah. by the church. And so we have a lot of spiritual homelessness as well. And it is so, so urgent that we care for those who are literally hungry and homeless. And it is also imperative that we reach out with this message of, of the good news of this peaceable kingdom to those who are spiritually homeless and hungry as well. Amen. I, I am getting drained physically, so <laughs> would you pray us out? I would. How about I uh, pray and offer a blessing? Wonderful. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the promise of a peaceable kingdom, of a place where the woes of this world are no more, where all are cared for, all are provided for. We pray that you would give us the strength and the discernment, the insight to know when to feed and know when to rail against the systems of injustice. We ask that you would also help us know how to comfort those who are spiritually hungry and homeless as well. And for those of us who feel homeless and hungry, literally or figuratively, we pray, oh God, that you would feed us, that you would house us, that you would give us rest and peace. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Friends, may God, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body. May God encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And friends, as uh, we depart today, let me remind you that if you have questions, comments, or um, other other stuff to communicate to us, you can always email us at info at softidolatry.com. If you go to our website, which is www.softidolatry.com, you can get links to our Facebook, Instagram, show notes. And if you would like to support us financially, our uh, Patreon contact information is there as well. Uh, before we depart, Alan, I just have one last question for you. Oh, no. What do you get when you cross a dog with a calculator? I shudder to think. A friend you can really count on. Oh. You've, you've <laughs> had better. I've had worse. <laughs> that too. <laughs> okay. <laughs>